good to see you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Esther. Uh, I'm one of the key leaders here. And I feel like I've woken up with the start of a cold this morning, so stay away from me. And if my voice gets even lower than it usually is, um, forgive me. <laughs> um, so today, um, we have got the second part in our series called The Exodus. Um, and in this series, we're picking out specific bits from the book Exodus in the Bible. And this is the story of God's people finding freedom, which is called the Exodus. But it's way bigger, way longer than this one book. Um, and it is a great story to get stuck into. It's real. It's relevant. Um, you could make a start by reading Joseph's story in Genesis. Keep reading and see where it goes. And if you were here last week, um, you'd have heard Est speak, and I love what she said about um, the five women who are key in the Exodus story. So we had the two Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua, Moses' own mother, Pharaoh's daughter, and Moses' sister. And all of these women showed crazy amounts of courage and boldness, and this story wouldn't be what it is without them. And I think it's just really cool how God uses the unlikely, unexpected, written-off people to be his hands, his feet, his voice in this world. And this also includes Moses. And I think sometimes um, we give these big characters in the Bible like a, a Hollywood gloss, um, we skip over the difficult and uncomfortable bits because we want to get to the obviously good stuff. Um, and we turn them into celebrities and superheroes. But no character in the Bible is perfect, apart from Jesus, don't worry. <laughs> but no one else is perfect. And that's because they're people, like flawed and broken people like you and me. And God doesn't mind us knowing that at all. God isn't afraid of us seeing the mess of people and their lives. And I think he wants us to get stuck in and to engage with that. So with that in mind, um, we're going to start today by reading uh, Exodus chapter 2, uh, verses 11 and 12, and a bit of verse 15. Um, this is what it says. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled. So Moses has survived the mass murder of Hebrew boys and instead been brought up in the Pharaoh's family with all the trappings of wealth and privilege that came with it. But at the same time, his people, the Israelites, are living as slaves. Their humanity has been erased. They are now merely a commodity to be picked up, used, and thrown away without a second thought, ruled over by Moses' adopted family. And it's in amongst this tension that Moses commits murder. He kills a man. An Egyptian slave driver, yes, but still a man. And Moses gets found out. His life is threatened, so he does a runner. And if we break, break this all down and take a bit of time over it, we see that there is a lot going on here. 
And I think it's good to keep this background and context in mind as we look at what comes next. So today we're going to listen in on a conversation between Moses and God. And we're going to focus on two questions that they ask each other. Uh, The first question is asked by Moses, and it is, who am I? Uh, The second question is uh, from God, and he is asking, what is that in your hand? So we're going to read uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 9 to 12. Um, In these verses, God is speaking to Moses from within a burning bush. So this is verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So, Moses' question, who am I? It's easy to listen to this little bit of interaction between God and Moses and get a little bit judgmental, like to roll your eyes at Moses, shake your head in despair, because like God is speaking out loud, directly to Moses, and from a burning bush that isn't actually burning the bush. Like, it's what, Moses, what more do you want? What more do you need? And Moses has even given the perfect, like, sandwich around his who am I question. On one side, God tells Moses, so now go, I am sending you. And on the other side, God promises Moses, I will be with you. It couldn't be any clearer, could it? But Moses is human. And remember, while we can casually skip a few pages and read about him leading the Israelites' miraculous escape from Egypt, sorry, that's a spoiler, um, Moses can't do that. Moses has got this complicated history with his people and with Egypt. He's been living this life of luxury while the Israelites are being broken as slaves. Like, where does he go with that? Like, does he feel guilty? And why would these people listen to him, knowing his background? And what about Pharaoh? Why would he even go near this royal family, his former home, and start making demands? It's hardly surprising when you put yourself in Moses' sandals for just a little bit that this encounter, this God conversation, sends him into a spiral of self-doubt and questions. I don't know about you, but I think our identity can get a little bit messy. Because things happen to all of us that affect how we see ourselves, what we think we can do or not do, what we can be or not be. And we ask ourselves, we ask others, we ask God, who who am I? Um, Daniel Strickland has written a great book called The Ultimate Exodus. And uh, this is a quote from that. She says, All of us are born with value, regardless of the circumstances of our natural birth. We were born to change the world, We were born for freedom, 
Our task in life is to come to an agreement with God about who we are. This understanding that our value comes from God and not from ourselves or the world around us is liberating at our core. I'm going to read that again. Um, and as I do, like notice if there are any parts that you react strongly to, whether that's positively or negatively, um, and maybe have a start to think why. And also notice in this quote the use of we and are. Like this is not just an individual thing, this is a collective, a community thing. So all of us are born with value, regardless of the circumstances of our natural birth. We were born to change the world. We were born for freedom. Our task in life is to come to an agreement with God about who we are. This understanding that our value comes from God and not from ourselves or the world around us is liberating at our core. If you are someone who follows Jesus, you will know in your head or have at least heard with your ears, God loves you. Added to that, you might know that God's love is unconditional, like it can't be shifted. And you might also know that the whole us and God thing, that that is all about relationship. That God wants to do things with us and in us that are way beyond anything we might imagine. The hard thing is actually absorbing this. So that the stuff that we know in our heads becomes more than that kind of like surface knowledge. It's literally absorbed into every part of our lives, affecting everything that we are. And this is a community thing as well. It's not just about us as individuals. Like how do we help each other do this, to call out the value in everyone, part of our church family, people we come across in life? And when Jesus was baptised, when he was here on earth, before he had done any of what we read in the Bible, this is what God said to him and about him. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Like Jesus hasn't started healing people. He hasn't raised anyone from the dead. He's not preached the greatest sermon ever or even walked on water. He's not done anything. But Jesus has said yes. He said yes. I am God's son. Yes, God, my father, loves me. And yes, he's pleased with me. And this response, this yes, literally changes everything. And God says the same to us. You are my child. I love you. And I'm well pleased with you. And when we say yes to God in this, it is a huge act of trust and a massive step of faith. We say yes. We believe we are who God says we are. We're saying yes. God loves us and that because of him, because of this, we really do believe that anything is possible. And yes is a small word, small word, but as it turns out, it can be quite difficult to say. So we're going to skip back 
to Moses. And we're going to rejoin Moses and God in chapter 4 of Exodus. And God has just uh, laid out a bit more of a detailed plan to Moses. He's reminded Moses that it is God who he's talking to, and that's important. So we might assume that now Moses is good to go. Let's read Exodus chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 5 and then 10 to 17. And Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this stuff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. So Moses has asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God responds with a question of his own. What is that in your hand? And this is a great question. And there are so many things that are awesome about this. Um, So at the moment, in what we're reading here, uh, Moses is working as a shepherd So God is literally speaking to Moses at his place of work. Moses, he's not being, you know, he's not super spiritual on a retreat interceding for his people. He's just looking after some sheep. And I love that this is what God is like. He shows up in the ordinariness of our lives. He chooses to come and meet us exactly where we're at. And I also love that God doesn't ask or want Moses to be anyone or anything other than himself. What Moses the shepherd has in his hands when God asks this question is a staff. This staff belongs to Moses. It's familiar to him. It fits in his hand. It's a vital part of his job and who he is. So this is what God uses. And when God asks Moses this question, what is that in your hand? I kind of wonder if there's another level to that too. Like God is asking Moses, Moses, 
Do you see what I see? That the person you are, the background you have, your life experience, it's all so valuable to me. That the stuff you are ashamed of, the things that you think discount you from doing what I'm asking you to do, they don't. Quite simply, God wants to use the parts of our lives that we want to hide and write off. Like, this is who he is. This is what God does for all of us, not just Moses. So, obviously, now now Moses is going to get on with it. His staff has turned into a snake and back again. Back again. And God tells Moses in verse 5 that this will prove to the Israelites that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you, which is a huge statement to make. But Moses, he's still not quite there yet. Even after God gives him a couple more miracles to keep up his sleeve. And again, I love... Uh, verses 10 to 17 because I'm a big fan of the unfiltered insight we get into this rocky start to Moses and God's relationship. Like Moses finds more reasons to say no. He says he can't speak well, which of course is going to be key if he's going to be convincing Pharaoh to give the Israelites their freedom. But Moses has missed the point. That is not what God is asking. God's not sending Moses off on his own, then sitting back to see if he sinks or swims in this task. For the second time in the verses we've looked at today, God says, now go. Moses says, please send someone else. God gets angry, says that Aaron can go with Moses and Aaron will do the talking. It's a little bit uncomfortable. It feels like we're listening into a conversation that we shouldn't actually be hearing at all. And one of the reasons why I love that we get to hear this and to feel that discomfort is because later in Exodus 33, verse 11, we read this. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And it's hard to believe that this is the same relationship. Like it's hard to imagine Moses and God having this kind of like cozy little face-to-face catch-up in a tent after reading the verses that we've looked at today. And you might guess where we're going with this. But whatever has gone before, wherever you're at now, God wants this kind of Moses relationship with you. The face-to-face friends in a tent kind of relationship. And I hate tents and camping. <laughs> and, and, I don't, and I don't say this lightly at all either. Um, I've done a bit of the Moses thing. I've made choices in life that have made me run away and question why on earth God would even give me a second thought. I've asked, and I still ask, the who are my questions even when God has shown up and made it clear that he loves me and he's not going to give up on me. When God's asked stuff of me, I've said, "Mm, please send someone else. 
because I don't believe I've really got what God wants or needs. Like this is something I think that we're all wrestling with, but it's continually baffling that God loves me and he loves you. And this really, really does change everything. In verse 17 of chapter 4 that we read, God says to Moses, but take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Like God is so persistent in pursuing this relationship with Moses. Like God isn't put off by Moses' excuses, by his self-doubt. Like he's even prepared to help Moses out to make it a bit easier for him to give him a sidekick if that's what it will take. Like despite all the faff, all the toing and froing, God still wants Moses. God wants what Moses brings with what's in his hands. But take this stuff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. And this is it. This is where we land. And it's quite simple. God wants you and God wants your hands. So I've got a few um, like kind of questions, things to think about. Um, thanks, they're on the screen now. Um, and yeah, just um, we'll take a few minutes to have a think on them. Um, and one of them is a bit from the Daniel Strickland quote that I read. Like, have a think about that. Like, don't just read it and not think about it. Like, what about, what about this? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for us? Like, do you agree with God about who you are? That he loves you and is well pleased with you? And God wants you. God wants your hands. What do, what do you have in your hands? What do we have in our hands? So um, take a few minutes now if you want to... Um, just kind of think about that quietly on, on your own. Do that. If you want to um, chat with the person next to you, um, then do that, yeah. But have a couple of minutes and, yeah, then I'll be back.
So just want to encourage you to keep uh, yeah, having a think about those questions specifically. Um, yeah, maybe take it home. Have a think on it all this week. Have a chat with someone. Um, and one of the things that um, yeah, came to mind as I was thinking about this and writing that, God wants you, God wants your hands. What do you have in your hands? Um, just felt like for maybe some people here that you're doing that, you're hearing the what do you have in your hands and you look at your hands and you think I haven't got anything and I felt like God is asking you to look again and he's saying that not in a um, telling you off kind of way but in that yeah look again do you see what I see that the person you are the background you have your life experience it's valuable the stuff that you might think discounts you from having this kind of Moses relationship with God it doesn't